out today. Okay. I'll help you hop down. How about that? Please. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible. Therefore, get rid of all ill will and all deceit, pretense, envy, and slander. Instead, like a newborn baby, desire the pure milk of the word. Nourished by it, you will grow into salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now you are coming to him as a living stone. Even though this stone was rejected by humans, from God's perspective, it is chosen, valuable. You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You're being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thus it is written in scripture, look, I am laying a cornerstone in Zion, chosen and valuable. The person who believes in him will never be ashamed. So God honors you who believe. For those who refuse to believe, though, the stone the builders tossed aside has become the capstone. This is a stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Because they refuse to believe in the word, they stumble. Indeed, this is the end to which they were appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of the darkness and into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Like Julia mentioned, my name is Mary Ann. I'm the pastor at the Denton Wesley Foundation. So we serve all college students that are in Denton. We've got three campuses there. And uh, we've got a little building like right on Maple Street near UNT's freshman dorms. And we've, it, we're basically a church for college students. So if you know anybody going to school in Denton that needs a church home or friends or a place to have free lunch every once in a while, then I'd love to get connected with them. Uh, this morning, we're uh, continuing y'all's series on asking the question, do I belong? And one of the things I always wonder about in belonging is, do I belong if I wasn't invited? Because I'm kind of a party person. I don't know if you've picked up on that from my lovely conversation with Ellie. She and I are going to have an excellent party. But I'm kind of down to roll up to any event or occasion if it feels like it wouldn't be weird for me to be there. So I'm the type of friend where you could say, you know, I'm really going to this bridal shower and there might not be very many people. Why don't you just tag along and I'll, I'll play the games, I'll drink the punch, I'll do the whole thing even if I don't know the person the party is for, right? But I've been to some parties I was not invited to. Not that they said, don't let Marianne come to this party, right? But you get kind of a sense when you show up to a place that you were either expected or you were unexpected. It feels really good to be expected. I remember when I was in college, then when I would come home for the weekend, then I would open up the fridge or the freezer and it would be totally filled with things I know my mom and dad do not eat, right? There'd be like four boxes of vegetarian chicken nuggets. I'm like, Clark Brown is not eating veggie nuggets while I'm away at school. 
But because dad knew I was coming to town, then he rolled through Tom Thumb and he cleared him out of all the foods he knows only I like. And there are certain people that give us that feeling. When we come in, it's not just sushi and brown decorations everywhere, but it's a feast set out with us in mind specifically. I have three kids, and the thing about having three kids is that then I have five people in my family, so we're an odd-numbered family. And I grew up, I'm one of six, so we're an even-numbered family. And so I've never noticed this before until I had kids. And so the, when, the three, when the five brown trigs roll up to a restaurant, and we say there's five of us, they almost always set us at a table for six people which is totally fine because we come with a lot of baggage, so we put all of that in the empty chair. Um, but every once in a while, people look at the three brown trigs and they think they're kind of small. We could probably squeeze this family of five into a table for four people. And we'll just pull up a little chair and get kind of cozy and that will probably be totally fine. But you know what's really exciting? when we get to a restaurant and they have a round table with five chairs, my youngest will scream, they knew we were coming! That's the kind of feeling I would love to elicit in people. Not just, oh, there's plenty of room. You're welcome to be here. But when people come into a space that I've made for them, I want them to say, wow, you knew we were coming. You expected us. Because we've all felt unexpected, uninvited, or even overlooked. We've all showed up to a place where there were not enough parking spaces, not enough chairs, not enough food. When we didn't think that you were going to be here. It doesn't feel good to not be expected. When I was in college, I took a class uh, called Disability Studies, and it was with Dr. Allison Kafer, uh, who is in a wheelchair, and she doesn't have full use of her hands following an accident. And they made Dr. Kafer teach Disability Studies, in room 308, which was on the third floor of this 100-year-old building. And they had an elevator, but it was an elevator in a 100-year-old building, so it was more like the Tower of Terror ride at Disney World, like you're not sure if it's ever going to drop. There were lots of days when the elevator didn't work, so we had to have class outside. And on the first day in that class, in that room in 308, in this 100-year-old building, a building that when they built it, it was a men's dorm because only men went to school there. And then now, Dr. Allison Kafer was teaching disability studies in that class. And on the, I had taken lots of classes with Dr. Kafer before, so I had that feeling where you kind of know what's gonna happen. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I felt like I did, like many college sophomores do. And Dr. Kafer asked for a volunteer, and I was ready, right? I already knew what this class would be like. So I volunteered, and she said, Marianne, I want you 
to open the door to our classroom. And I was like, great, first day, I've already got an A in this class because I can open the door to room 308. And then she said, I want you to show me how you would open that door if you couldn't use your fingers. That was a little bit harder, but I was ready to do it. So I used to play violin, so I've got really strong wrists and stuff, right? And I bent around and opened up the doorknob. And she said, now I want you to show me how you would open that door if you couldn't use your hands. And you know, I, I was a youth minister, so I was good at progressively harder games, right? And so I get in there with my elbows and I wiggle the door open. It's not as graceful. I'm not gonna reinterpret it for you perfectly, but I got it open. And then Dr. Kafer said, can you show me how you would open this door if you didn't have any arms? And it was one of those rickety little perfectly circular doorknobs, teeny tiny. And it was way pre-pandemic. And I thought the only way I think I could open this door is if I got my one sharp tooth into the hole where the key goes and I wiggled it open. She stopped me before I did it. But Dr. Kafer said, isn't there a way that this door could have been built that people without arms could still come into this classroom? And we started to think about all the doors we had walked through in all our lives, most of us pretty effortlessly, because we've never had to worry about if a door pushed with your shoulder or wiggled open with your fingers. We never had to worry about if a door opened automatically or if it didn't. Most doors have always been open to most of us. But not all doors are open to everyone. And Dr. Kafer said when they built this building, when they constructed room 308, they had an idea about who would be here, what types of things would be happening in this room. And in the same way, they had an idea of who would never be allowed or at least who would never be welcomed, or at least who would be unexpected, uninvited. I'm sure that the people that built that building in the very beginning did not expect Dr. Allison Kafer to be teaching in that room in her wheelchair. We build spaces for the people we expect, not just the people that are welcome. And Jesus himself was the unexpected guest. So many of the places where Jesus rolled up, he was not the key audience. He was always causing trouble, asking questions people didn't have the answer to, pointing out the people who had been left out because of whatever doors gave access to that space. And even people that wanted Jesus in their life wanted him in a way that was unexpected. That they could maybe squeeze room for one more at the table if they had to. For Jesus, we could squeeze in one more. But what our scripture says this morning is that Jesus was overlooked. He was cast aside. Is that this, this is the stone that makes people stumble. 
because the stone that's been overlooked has become the capstone. So I've preached this uh, scripture before, and I had a stone mason in the congregation, and I embarrassed myself a little bit. Are there any legit stone masons among us this morning? Then I'm just going to do my best, and we'll all, it'll be everybody's best, okay? Um, but... If you build a stone archway, this is not the same way as if you build a stone archway in 2021. I can connect you to a real-life stonemason if you do want to hear about that. But in the time that they wrote this scripture, then building a real stone archway the way they did it was that they had a big old pile of rocks. And all the rocks are kind of wedge-shaped a little bit. They don't go to a perfect little point, but... They've got a curve in the middle, and the outside of it is kind of wedged. And the way you build the arch is you put one stone on the right side, and one stone on the left side, and one stone on the right side, and one stone on the left side. And eventually the stones lean into each other, and your two piles of bricks start to come together. The problem is that they have to come together perfectly, perfectly. And you can't do that unless you have the one piece that puts pressure on the left side and the right side at the same time. So if you build all the way up to the tippy-tippy top, you need the capstone or the tippy-tippy top piece, if that's what you're thinking about. And then that capstone fits perfectly to ensure that the left side gives pressure to the white right side and holds it up and the right side gives pressure to the left side and holds it up. The whole thing is put together with this tension, and the tension does not exist unless you have the capstone. It's the most important piece, the most irreplaceable. And like building many things, the most irreplaceable piece looks like it doesn't really belong there. Because if you start sorting things into the pile that goes on the left and the pile that goes on the right, that capstone piece is going to look like it doesn't go anywhere. And if you build things like Marianne Browntrig does, or like the builder mentioned in our scripture today, you might say, this doesn't quite look right, and throw it behind you, because it would be confusing to have that one piece. My most recent building failure was a basketball goal. So my two youngest kids play basketball, so we got one of those eight-foot goals for the driveway, right? And I looked at a couple of these specific nuts and bolts, and they just, I just couldn't believe that we needed all of them, right? They said six, but it really seemed like four was doing a fine job when it was on the ground. But then when we picked the rim up and lifted it up high, and they shot that first shot, and I saw that thing wobbling over my youngest child, all of a sudden I was crawling, hands and knees on the garage floor, looking for what I thought was trash, but turned out to be the one holy, precious, most important little nut and bolt combo. And that's what's happening in our scripture, is that someone is building something, and they think, I don't expect this to be very important. But in fact, it's the most important. It's the one piece that will hold it all together. And that piece is Jesus. 
the ultimate unexpected guest, the person who shows up to every party and changes the whole thing from what you thought it would be, the one that you didn't think was going to make it, the one that you completely overlooked and changed everything, the one holy, precious piece to a beautiful stone archway, a beautiful basketball rim, a beautiful holy nation is what it says in our scripture. Jesus is building a kingdom that is incomplete without the things and people that we often completely overlook. And on some level, we know this because we teach ourselves from very little bitty ages that God wants us to love everybody. And that when we are talking about our church, then everybody's welcome at church. And sometimes we accuse each other of not being welcoming to each other, where we say, well, if church is really where everybody is welcome, then that means I'm right about whatever I think the church should do, and you're probably wrong. I'm a little guilty of that one. But I think more often than we think everyone is welcome, but they're only welcome to come to our party. So my party, as we discussed earlier, is going to have sushi and brown decorations everywhere. And your party might be a little bit different, but there's probably some preferences and assumptions in who is invited or expected or wanted. It feels good to be expected, but it feels really good to be wanted. That's one of the things I'm only recently thinking about, because when I came to the Wesley in February, then I was having coffee with one of my students, and uh, I asked him what makes the Wesley Foundation special to him. And he said, there are so many places in the church or on campus that would welcome me. But the Wesley Foundation is the only place I'm really wanted. There are lots of places that are willing to have him roll up for worship or come to their club, pay his membership dues, do his volunteer hours. But there aren't many places that want to hear his difficult questions or want to see what God is doing in his life specifically instead of just living out what God is doing in the lives of people already there. There are not many places that want what might feel disruptive or chaotic, completely out of control just because it's a little bit different than what we were doing before. We're really used to welcoming people as long as they kind of want to come to our party. As long as they act the way we expected or as long as they fit through the doors we've already built. But it's really difficult to build a place, not where everyone is welcomed, but where everyone is wanted. A community that honors what we read in this scripture, that Christ's kingdom is incomplete without the people that we have so often overlooked. And all of us have been those people 
at one point. You've had someone decide that you are not worth the effort. You showed up somewhere where they did not think you were coming or were kind of hoping you wouldn't make it. You asked to be accommodated in a way that someone else thought was too difficult. They weren't willing to change the time or place or way of the meeting so that you could be a part. But you are still very welcome. We've all been the overlooked one, the one that was not expected. And we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus himself is the overlooked one too. That all the times you've been excluded or forgotten or squeezed into the very edge of the table, sitting on the, le the spot where the leg is, where there's not really any room for your food, that Jesus has been in that exact same spot. And not just that Jesus was in that spot, but his overlookedness, the thing about Jesus that made him not able to fit into the pile of left bricks or the pile of right bricks, is actually the thing that holds the fabric of the universe together. And if that's true about Jesus' overlookedness, what might be true about our overlookedness? What might be true about the people we ourselves have overlooked? Nadia Bowles Weber is a Lutheran pastor, and one of the things that she writes is, every time you draw a line in the sand between you and them, whoever them is for you, then when you look up from drawing that line, all of a sudden, Jesus is on that side with them, and he's never on your side with you. And you can draw a thousand lines in a thousand different places on the sand. You can draw a line over things that feel very holy and righteous. But when we look up from the line, then Jesus is always over there with them and never over here with us. Jesus is the uninvited guest that we'd love to make just a little bit of room for because we want all the good things that Jesus brings to our life and our world. But here's my biggest beef with Jesus. Jesus always wants to bring his friends along. Do you know anybody like that? Where you know if you invite Joe to the party, Joe is going to bring whoever's hanging out at Joe's house at the time. And this party might get to be too big, too fast. People who, when they ring your doorbell, all of a sudden, your house is packed full of folks you maybe didn't want, definitely didn't invite, and might not even know or think about. Jesus shows up to every party bringing all his friends. We know because he hung out with 12 dudes and lots of ladies we don't know the names of all the time. And everybody that wanted to talk to Jesus had to deal with Peter and Judas, and both of the Marys. Jesus always wants to bring all his friends. So if we want that capstone piece, we're going to have to make room for a lot of other things that don't fit right now. 
And that's because Jesus is trying to build something much bigger, much more complicated, much more wonderful than all the things we've tried to build ourselves. And so when I think about this in context of one specific church congregation, it might be that the first time you roll up to that place, wherever that place is, that you didn't get the warm welcome in the parking lot. They didn't actually ask your name. Or somebody said something that just really felt a little off. It might be that you walked into an imperfect community that did not expect you. But an imperfect community does not move into Christian perfection by eliminating people. An imperfect Christian community only moves into Christian perfection by welcoming in new, wanted, expected guests. Jesus' friends that he is always bringing into the mix. And so a lot of times we have probably heard this story before if you haven't lived it. A lot of times church is a place that is painful. Because people that walk into a room filled with pews and stained glass and beautiful banners are reminded of a lot of things people have said and done to hurt them very badly. As a campus minister, that's one of the things I deal with the most. People who are desperately curious about their good friend Jesus. But walking into a place that looks like all the places that have hurt them so badly is just too painful. They, in their short lives, you know, 18 to 24-year-olds, have received the message over and over again that they are welcome, but they are not wanted. And the thing that the church so desperately needs is exactly those people. The people that know the story of the broken places. The people that know what the sharp edges of those stained glass can do. The people that have experienced the most difficult part of being unexpected, uninvited, or unwanted. Those are the people that have knowledge that none of the rest of us have. Me personally, for the most part, I've had a very happy little church life. I go to a different church every week, and almost all of them are very, very nice to me. And most of them really want me. And so I don't know exactly all of the things that the church needs to do to transform the hurt it continually does. But there are people who do. And we need to find a way to be able to not only welcome and accept those people, but to confess our deep need for them. So when people are critical or not quite as excited or a little off-put, it might be that instead of running from those people because they might test our faith too greatly, we need to set the table with those people in mind. We need to buy veggie chicken nuggets when we hear they're coming to town. We need to decorate the party with colors that they might like, sitting up food that they might want to eat, 
preaching sermons that they might want to hear, asking questions that might be lingering in their souls. Because that's the only way we're going to recover all of the pieces of the beautiful kingdom that God wants to be built. And so the thing, here's the thing that Pastor Marianne is going to ask you to think about. There's probably someone in your life that has felt overlooked, unwanted, and uninvited. And I want you to think about how is it you can stop telling them that they are welcome and start showing them that they are wanted, that they are a child of God deeply needed for the transformation of God's good world, the world that God still loves. And if you are feeling uninvited, unexpected, unwanted. I want you to think about what it would look like to step with a bit of bravery to bring the things you know that God's church desperately needs. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we are so grateful for the beautiful community you've given us, for the ways you test us and help us walk new roads. The ways you invite us into deeper faith with you, a faith that takes us ever always into the world, closer to all your friends that you want to bring with you everywhere. We ask this that you would make us more faithful, that we would trust you when that journey is difficult. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.